Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and we are so delighted to come to you once again today at the start of our week on Monday, July the 6th of 2020. And we are excited uh, for what God has for us this uh, week in his word. We pray that you had a, a good weekend uh, with your families as we are grateful. We're still grateful in spite of everything that's going on for the freedoms that have been afforded to us uh, through this country. And we, we, do, we are grateful for that. And um, we're so glad that you could join us today, that you could take out of your time to be with us as we study the Word of God today. I, I know that you will be blessed uh, as we begin this new series today. I'm excited. And as always, it is a pleasure to be here with the panel, uh, with Brother Marty, uh, Brother Fernando. It's always good to be with you, and we pray that you had a good weekend too, and to be able to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty, uh, we leave it to you now and share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Well, praise the Lord. Hope everybody had a good 4th of July <clears throat> as we're heading now on the other side of the last half of the year. And we're going to have to really fasten our seatbelts. I have a feeling we have a we're in the midst of a president. <laughs> presidential election is is getting ready to kick into full speed. Like Brother Jeremy said, uh, times are absolutely, in, you know, unstable. But for God's people, his word is our is our anchor. His yes, yes. His, his spirit is our comfort. His promises are our hope, and his light is is our guide. And and that's why we continue to to bear down on the things we've been talking about. And we're excited to begin a new series this this week. And and we pray that it'll be interesting, informative, and 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 uh, and also. Uh, you know, motivate us all to continue to look deeper into the Word of God. And so with that in mind, we're going to begin a new series today on the Song of Solomon, the Song of Solomon. And, and Brother Jeremy, I want to, uh, uh, this might be a five-part series or a three-part series. I don't know. We'll see how the Lord leads and how long we go. But I'm going to want Brother Jeremy to begin our study today uh, reading with Song of Solomon, Chapter 2. And could you read uh, verse 1 through 4? And those will be the verses that we explore today. So we hope you have your Bible. Settle in. Uh, follow us uh, as we minister to you out of the Song of Solomon this week. And I think you're going to see some very, very exciting things that the Lord has hidden within its, uh, within its words. Go ahead, Brother Jeremy, would you? Yes. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to lie banqueting, excuse me, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. We begin the Song of Solomon today, and today's uh, part one will be titled Under the Under His Shadow, taken from verse three. I sat down under his shadow. You know, uh, before we get into this, it's very important that we discuss, you know, what the uh, what the Song of Solomon really is. In many ways, uh, it's one of the most mysterious books in the Bible. On its surface, you know, it, it's, it's, it can be seen in its plain sense to be a romantic, you know, poetry, a discussion of romance. Um, but the truth is, is it's much, much deeper than that and, and hidden within it. Uh, and, and we say hidden because um, you... <laughs> Well, how many sermons have you actually heard on the Song of Solomon? You know, we've heard a few, I'm yeah. sure, but not many. Right? There's not many. Most people don't want to touch it, right? Uh, it, it, it is said by the Torah scholars, you know, the rabbis, that the Song of Solomon uh, was not permissible. It's not even permissible to be read by, by young men, uh, and, and they're really not allowed to even explore the pages of it. 
until they're about 30 years old. And that is because of a lot of the the metaphor, the poetic language that's used in in the passionate description uh, between a bride and and the one that he loves and and between the one that he loves and, and, and her bridegroom. But that's the surface of what's being expressed. You know, in in the plain sense of its reading, I guess, it can be seen as a passionate love story, a romantic declaration of love between a bridegroom and his bride. There are very, very many deep and descriptive words of that love uh, that are written in it. But, you know, uh, what we know about God's word is what? And and those of you who've been following us along, uh, you understand how we how we've come to learn to interpret the Word of God, and what we know about His Word is that the whole Word from Genesis to Revelation it really is a story uh, about Jesus Christ, the the Son of the Living God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's what that's what His Word is about, you know, about His birth, His death, His resurrection, His ascension to heaven, His church. Um, and then his his promised return to gather his bride, to bring her to his house. I guess you could say the Song of Solomon, it has to be understood in that kind of a context. Um, it's incredible uh, insights, uh, I guess, uh, of what the true love uh, of of the Lord looks like. Um, you know, really the insights that we can gain from it. From this Song of Solomon, and it, which portrays the love of the Lord to us and our love, or what our love should be to Him. If you don't see it in that perspective, then you lose a, a great, rich flavor of what spiritual um, development really is, and what we are to become as His bride. Remember, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, right? Revelation nineteen ten. And therefore, it's always with that, right, with that kind of understanding that we have to study Scripture. It's prophetic. It's always uh, at the heart of it, speaking of what is coming, what has been. That's how Jesus introduced himself, right, in the book of Revelation. He said, uh, I am he uh, who was, who is, and is yet to come. So it's all three simultaneously uh, how we approach the word. It's what he declares about himself. And again, it's descriptive and poetic language, and it has to be understood as a metaphor, as allegory. And remember, what is a metaphor? In, in, in the truest sense, a metaphor is, is a word or a phrase that expresses ideas. So we're going to look at it from the metaphor point of view. The phrases that are, what is the idea that's being expressed? And also the allegory of it. The allegory are the words and the phrases that are trying to teach us something. So it's both. We get the descriptive understanding or the larger concept, but we're also going to get, you know, what it is that's trying to, commu- to communicate to us personally on a personal level and also uh, with an eye towards the prophetic and what it's revealing. So, you know, it's it's with metaphor and allegory that we'll look at it in. And, and only then, if we actually understand it in that way, will we begin to see what what I believe is the hidden wonderful truths and keys that truly unlock the prophetic aspect and nature of this book. Because ultimately what this book is about is about a bridegroom who loves his bride, a bridegroom who goes away, a bride who is longing for him to return, and all the emotions that she expresses concerning her love for him and all the highs and lows that she experiences while he he goes away. But yet the hope of his promise, the wooing, and the different signs that he leaves to her that he's about to return and uh, and consummate their love. It is a great and wonderful expression of the Holy Spirit uh, concerning Christ and his bride. So if we look at it in those aspects, we'll begin to unlock the prophetic understanding of the book. The incredible insights, really, uh, how did I say it, that instruct us in our development as his bride, as his church. And also, what are we supposed to be doing till he comes back? You know, the preparation, right? right? What are we supposed to be doing? Because that's what it also gets into. And we'll see 
in the way that Solomon writes by the inspiration of the Spirit, the, the plain sense of what you read, if you'll take the time, which we're going to do, and dig into this, it will inspire us to understanding the qualifications, you know, for what it, what, what his real bride is. So I want to visit these great writings with the goal, with, with that goal in mind, and I want to take our time so we can see. Again, like I was saying, the Song of Solomon, you know, it's been described as uh, a song that is best described as what the rabbis tell us is like the Holy of Holies. They say that the Psalms and all the other songs recorded in the Word are songs of praise and worship. Um, that deal with with many of the components of our experiences with God as it relates to the tabernacle or the temple. But when we get to the Song of Solomon, it is it is an intimate expression of of the most intimate part of that temple where the Shekinah glory is, where the presence of God is. And I thought that was really cool in doing my research on this. Uh, what they were what they say about it that it's a song that best describes the most holy of holies, the secret place, the revelation of his most holy presence, the presence that is only known by the intimacy that's experienced between a husband and his wife. It's the best metaphor. It's the best allegory that can be given concerning it. It is, like I said, in my opinion, and, and it's not just my opinion, but as we'll see, it's prophetic. And and yep. what's interesting is it's been it's it's read publicly only only at Passover in the synagogues and mm. and in the and, and it's only read at Passover. I, I hear you, brother Fernando, because you already go wow, okay, because that we apply that as well to it. Because as we've been, those of you who've been with us the last four months when we began these podcasts, you, you've heard us mention Passover many many times. And the reason that we do that is because we believe that Passover is key to the understanding of the return of the Lord or the season in which he'll return. Because what it really teaches us, right, is that uh, it's the time when God took Israel for himself. That's when Passover occurred. So I find it really interesting that when they read the Song of Solomon, they read it during Passover. That's when they break it out and they'll read portions of it to the congregations to gather in the synagogues. Well, for us, you know, that, that, that signals all kinds of things because it was the time that God took Israel for himself. It's the time that he delivered his nation out of Egypt. And so as I was meditating on that in a larger sense than prophetically understood, it's the time that the Lord will return also and take us to himself, to take us out of the Egypt that we find ourselves in or the world as a whole. And again, so when we speak of prophetic metaphor or allegory in interpreting the Song of Solomon, let's let us look. Uh, in my opinion, I think we need to do this. We need to look at first what it what it means uh, to look at something metaphorically or allegorically, the prophetic implications, so that we can begin to understand as we go forward how we're going to interpret this. So I said all that to get to this point. We want to look at a couple things. I just want to look at a couple verses to give you an idea of how this book should be interpreted. And so, Brother Jeremy, I want you to begin with um, <clears throat> chapter 1. And could you read us first uh, verse 1 and 2? And we're going to just look at a few uh, ways that we want to talk to you about how to go about viewing what is written here uh, in, in in regards to how we apply it spiritually because it's a, it's a spiritual book. It's not meant to be interpreted solely in a fleshly way, you know, describing the love of a man with a woman here. But we're talking about the spiritual applications and why the language is used the way it is. And I'm going to give you a couple examples here uh, just to set the tone for what we're going to look at today very briefly. Could you go on and read to us, first of all, verse uh, 1 and 2 of chapter 1, Brother Jeremy? Please. Yes. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. So the first thing that we see here, what's declared, is it's not just a Song of Solomon. It's the Song of Solomon, right? It's the Song of Songs. 
it's the greatest of all songs ever written. That's what he's describing. And that's why the rabbis and the, and the Torah scholars believe that it's implying or referencing there, uh, 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 having reference to the Holy of Holies, the greatest part of the tabernacle, the greatest part of the temple is found in the secret place of the Most High. It is where his presence used to manifest itself to them. So in that sense, when we begin to read it, we're setting the tone here. And what, what is actually being said is if you really apply uh, the, the discernment of the Spirit as he leads us, what it's going to lead us to and what we will discover is the awesome presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, his heart, his, his love, his, his presence, uh, it will be found to be unlocked here. Now, the phrase there uh, where it says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Uh, what that is referring to is, again, don't take it for the plain sense, because in so doing, you miss what's being expressed here. First, it starts with Song of Songs, referencing his ultimate presence. The ultimate praise, the ultimate worship is the reason it's written. And the first thing he goes into uh, and, and what's being described are the are the kisses of his mouth. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And and how we 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 can see that by the spirit is that kiss me or a kiss is an intimate expression. It's which is bestowed upon his bride. And and the fact that he references his mouth, the term his mouth, refers to what he speaks. So don't think of a kiss as a kiss. Kiss is being is being used there to describe the intimacy of what he speaks. Right. So therefore, really, what's being what's being said is the longing of the bride is to hear his word from him, that intimate expression from his mouth, which is likened to the intimacy of exchange that's found, you know, uh, that occurs in that intimate exchange. When, when, the, when the Spirit of God begins to speak to us the words of the Lord, his holy word, and when, when, when the expression of the Spirit truly comes from the mouth of the Lord to us, it is designed to cause an intimate response. So what she's saying, what the bride is saying, in essence, what's being expressed here in, in a very deep spiritual way now, that's how we're, how we're talking to you. To each other right now to understand this properly it's the song of songs it is the shekinah glory of god that is being presented here and immediately our attention is drawn to to intimacy so in order to first man i tell you what man i just felt his presence in my own heart right yeah. now because because it it sets the tone it sets the tone. You want his presence. You want the presence above presence. You know, you don't just want a little feely, touchy thing kind of here, right? Oh, that was kind of cool. I experienced a little bit of goosebumps. That's not what we're talking about here. And that's not what the Lord is trying to express to his true bride. You want my intimate presence, the hidden presence. Because remember this, when we look at the construction of the tabernacle, what do we find? We find an initial door opened, which is the outer court. The door would lead you into the outer court. And what you're confronted with is the brazen altar. It is the cross. It is where we, we repent and we ask for forgiveness. But that is just the beginning of the process. From there, we go to the brazen labor, which is still in the outer court, which is made out of brass the mirrors of, of of the children of the of the women that were brought out of Egypt when they were in the wilderness when they constructed the brazen labor it came from their mirrors the the reflection that they would see in these these the pieces of brass that they had they melted that all together turned it into a giant bowl and filled it with water because the brass is reflection but the water represents the word and so we first repent at the brazen altar but then we go on to the word, which is where we're washed by the word. But the word causes us to have a reflection of our own self. And once we see the reflection of ourself, we can't really see it until we see our reflection in the water, in the bowl, which is the word. 
and then they would use that water to wash themselves before they go into the next compartment, which was the the holy place. In there, there's the table of showbread, where the bread, the, the 12 loaves of bread would, would be. And then there's also the menorah, which is the seven-branched candlestick. We don't have time to get into all that, but it speaks of illumination, the word and illumination. And then there's the altar of incense, which is intercession and prayer and worship, which is before the only place that isn't accessible. It was only accessible after these this, this these steps into the most holy of holies, which is where the blood is applied to the Ark of the Covenant, all symbolic. But once that is applied there, then the Shekinah glory would fill this darkened room and he would be the light of it. It's the most intimate place of relationship with God. It, it And it can only be accessed by process. And so when Solomon begins this and says the Song of Songs, He's already declaring to all who will read what goes forward from this point on that the design of it is to bring us into an incredibly intimate and secret relationship, if you will, with our heavenly Lord, with our heavenly bridegroom. And so immediately in verse 2, he begins to unfold how that begins. How the process begins is through revelation from his mouth. And, and, and that's representing what he speaks so the intimate, most intimate presence of God is found in his word. His word is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the bride who understands that understands the intimacy that is exchanged there in our private devotion to him, which produces his presence, or at least it should. Are you with me? <laughs> Amen. Yes. And, and that's why she goes on in verse 2 to say what? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. The intimacy between bride and groom occurs by what emits from his mouth, his word, his revelation. It sets the yes. beginning that brings us into his presence, a deep and, and consecrated fellowship that is private and beautiful. It speaks of intimacy. It's individual consecration and desire for his word. And, and and she goes on and says, because thy love is better than wine. She's declaring the difference between the earthly and the spiritual. Do you? She was. She's literally saying, I will not find it uh, in things of this earth. I will not find it in the fruit of this world. I will only find it as it 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 comes from thee and from your mouth, what you speak is far beyond the natural. And so that is the tone that's being said here. And she goes on to say what in verse 3, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Um, because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Yes. That's really powerful. Again, we're using this beginning just to set the tone for how we're going forward to interpret what God's going to give us this week. Listen, verse 3 goes on, and she clarifies uh, what we've been talking about. She clarifies this as we read about ointments being savored. That's what she's talking mm -hmm. about. What uh, she's The ointment is, if you look it up in the Hebrew, ointments that she's referring to is the fragrance of pure olive oil. Yeah. So you you see all three members of the Godhead already present in the very first three verses that are describing this this covenant between a bride and 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 her bridegroom, and 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 it's beautiful because Song of Songs is the declaration of the Shekinah presence, the Spirit of of the Father. You know, the word that comes from His mouth is the Lord Jesus. And it's the spirit, the pure olive oil, the ointments that, that offer the fragrance and point us to his character and his name, right? Thy name is the ointment poured forth, the oil pouring forth. And then it goes on to reference the virgins who love thee. That, that's, that's likening us to what? Matthew 25, right? The wise virgins who take oil. Yes. It clarifies Absolutely. this, as, right? 
so uh, any thoughts? You got any thoughts or you're just listening right now? <laughs> no, it's beautiful um, how the whole word connects. You know, we, we, we've been telling the people that uh, Passover is, is found all throughout Scripture when, when it pertains to the coming of the Lord for end times. And, and we, yeah. we spoke about earlier how uh, this the Song of Solomon is it, um, said during Passover by the Jews. And then we yeah. have here an allusion to virgins, to oil, which is a connection with Matthew 25. And we find yeah. that all the way in the Songs of Solomon. And it just speaks to how the Lord is, is so awesome and how he, he speaks and how he hides things for us, you know, how, how and how he reveals it unto us. Yeah, I, I'm just getting so amazed, you know, as we go uh, through each podcast uh, of how the Lord speaks in such a beautiful, intelligent, marvelous way. You know, the continuity, yeah. Yeah. you know, the continuity that you find in, in Scripture is so amazing, so perfect, you yeah. know, and, and so it, it, it's, it's such a blessing um, to, to, to see that. And, and, and I, again, I want to reiterate, because when, when, you know, when preachers, if they ever do preach on the Songs of Solomon, it's more an aspect of poetry or marriage, the love between a man right. and a woman, but they never see it prophetically. Yeah, right? and, and and that's what we're seeing here so beautifully. I think. Praise yeah, God. It, it's it, it's a it's a beautiful. I'm sorry about that. It was a great point you made, brother Fernando, and it's a beautiful introduction that we're getting right now of the characters. Right, you see the yeah. the the bride, the one who is beloved, right, and the daughters yeah. of Jerusalem, and it's 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 setting the tone, and really uh, one of the things that uh, has that helps has helped me a little bit to understand it. You know is understanding who's speaking and when they're speaking, right? Because it's it's a right. conversation. And if you want to look at it, as we say, prophetically, which is what the way we're doing it, is you're going to get an insight on the conversation, right, between a, a the, the, the bride, right, and, yes. and her beloved. So this is beautiful, brother. And it's some of the things that you're bringing out, it, it's so beautiful. It's the way it was meant to be interpreted. Because the only time that I have heard personally Great point. the Song of right. Solomon preach, has been in marriage count, marriage <laughs> or something. Yeah, and, and 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 that's true, and and, and you know that's that's really disgusting, actually, right? Because it's all yeah, about no, flesh, you know, and 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 that's not what this is, you know. Like we said, verse one uh, of chapter one, it, it it gives forth the declaration of of the song of all songs, which is that yeah. intimate praise and worship where the presence is where the shekinah glory of god is where he is and and the process that be, that begins because it remember he declares the end from the beginning all scripture is the same so when when this song is, begins it's it makes declaration of his presence his ultimate presence his intimate secret place you know, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under what? The shadow of the Almighty. Yeah. That's where we're headed. That's why we title this first podcast, Under His Shadow. It's the secret place. Yeah. And it's the beginning of the song, and it is what the song is leading to. He begins by declaring, this whole thing is about bringing you into my presence. And when we go yeah. through the book, what you see are the ups, the downs, the in-betweens, the prophetic longings you know for his return almost it seems like he's there but he's so elusive but all of it designed like like spiritual breadcrumbs along the trail of, of the journey of life that lead us home once again to his presence from whence we yeah. came right and and so it Brother begins Martin, yes i just wanted to say you know as as we're going to be going forth in this I truly believe that we were going to see, we're going to see a a picture of an end time bride seeking yeah. after after her her beloved, and we're going to see it prophetically. I think as we go uh, into this story, right. it's a, and that's really it's what a, and that's really what this is. I mean, that's what we're talking yes. about is that, and that's why he's bringing it out. One of the things that I read uh, in, in some of the scholars uh, that that have commented on this. Uh, from the ancient times, really, you know, several hundred years ago, 
they basically said that that there was much to learn from it, but there was also a mystery to it, and they said that it wouldn't be revealed until the end of days. Wow. They really and, wow. And, 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 yeah, and and so that's why I was so excited of what the Holy Spirit is showing us because I know it's the end of days. And because right. these kinds of Amen. these kinds of passages are so full of, of rich depth that cannot be discerned without the spirit. They cannot be understood. But and that's why I talked to you about earlier about this is prophetic in its nature in, in that it explains big picture, but it also brings upon us as it's revealed that that uh, requirement to respond to it in order for we, us to prepare ourselves to meet the bridegroom. It is what we're supposed to be doing. And 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 as it's unfolding, we begin to to have the Spirit of God bring us into an understanding of where we are on that spectrum. Where are we in this intimate uh, relationship with the Lord? Is it there? Has it begun? Are we beginning? Are we well into it? Are we doing our best to seek him? Do we love him like that? Do we long, uh, like like he, she, she starts out and says, I want to be intimate with him as if I was being kissed. You know, how is that that I'm being kissed? It's by what comes out of his mouth, his word. I want that kind of an intimacy, not from this place or that place, not from the wine that the world has to offer, which only brings temporary you know, giddiness or enjoyment. I'm talking about something deeper here, she says. What I'm longing for is the word that comes from his mouth. And and to be in such close proximity uh, that, that, that it's an intimate expression. It's a very difficult thing to talk to people about who never, ever have, have caught a glimpse of what he's revealing his real bride knows about him, how he wooed her, how you know, compared to all the men she'd ever seen before, there was none like him. And and that's where she comes to rest under his shadow as as we'll we'll close out today soon when we get to that point. But we're laying forth here first the the key to understanding how to unlock uh, you know, what it is that he's hidden within what seems to be simply on the surface, like Brother Jeremy right. said. You know, man and wife, you know, that's how they do this book. No, man. This is talking about our God, our, our heavenly, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and and that's what he's saying. So she goes on to reveal that that the fragrance uh, of of his oil. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit in verse three. Uh, it, it's a savor. It's a fragrance, uh, and and of thy good oil, thy name, she says, is as ointment poured forth. Verse three. She's talking about Jesus. That's what she's talking about, thy name, right? The name of the Lord. Remember what Jesus said to, to his disciples uh, when he was praying in John 17? They overheard his prayer, and he says, Father, I have revealed thy name unto my disciples, right? He's talking about himself, yes. he, his character, yes. his authority. She says, so she says the key to the oil being, oh, my goodness. This is just Good the introduction, Mike. Right? That's good. good. She says the key to the ointment being poured forth is Jesus. Yes. Right? He's the one that unlocks the pouring forth of the oil, thy name. That's what's being declared here. And it's the oil that comes to the virgins. That's speaking of his true bride. And and that yes. word virgin, the, the virgins is, is very descriptive language, but in the Jewish mind when they hear that, they, they understand that that is someone that is engaged to be married. Right, it, it, it's the engagement contract, and that 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 promise that that's that born again experience. I'm promised to him, and and he's promised to me. Do you know him like that? Do we really know him like that? Do we seek him like that? That's why she goes on and and begins to reveal. Once the ointment is poured forth to the virgin, now the spirit is flowing, and she can say just that first line in verse four. She says, "Draw me, and we will run after you." That's the work of the spirit. It's that drawing, and 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 the phrase she uses, "We will run after you," is is that he's leading us somewhere, but the running indicates a quick 
and, and, and forceful response to the drawing. When the Spirit of God comes to you and wants to draw you away, do you yeah. say like King D- David said when he said that the Lord told him, seek me, and he said, I said, I will seek thee early, right? I will respond to you. As soon as you speak, here I am, Lord, like Samuel as a child, right? When the Lord called him Samuel, he said, here I am, you know, right away, you know. And then he's saying, you know, this kind of song of songs, you want my presence? You want my word in that intimate way? You want the savor of my spirit? You want to know my son who will pour forth my spirit to you? Then when, when, when I draw you, will you run after me? Or will you delay? Or are you so spiritually lazy that you don't respond or you don't value his presence at such a heightened level nor understand or conceive what it is that we're actually talking about here that he's talking about in his word that we would that you know we say we want his presence we say we want his anointing we say we want that intimacy with him but when he comes do we immediately respond like this he's revealing to us the true characteristics of his bride, the true characteristics of those whom he indeed has gone to prepare a place for, those that he will return so that where he is, we may be with him also. He is looking for that special, glorious, unique, and truly perfected by the Holy Spirit bride that longs for him where nothing else in this world can even remotely begin to distract from that intimate love and place with him. This is process. This is the work of the Spirit. And what is being revealed is the kind of bride that he's looking for. And the second thing I want to show you is is, is another prophetic implication. Could you read verse 12 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes, yes. While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. Incredible. Uh, we, we, we didn't go through all those other scriptures, but we will someday. But, but I just want to taking these keys to, to show us. Let's look at this other prophecy found here in verse 12. Notice we have a king. He's sitting at the table. And his bride says, my spikenard sends forth uh, the smell thereof, or this beautiful fragrance. Brother Jeremy, would you turn quickly over to John chapter 12, verse 3, where this scripture was fulfilled? Yes. Okay. 12, 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Praise God. God. That's what Solomon was revealing, or the Spirit was revealing, right? That that a king, in verse 12 of chapter 1 of the Song of Solomon, it's the same thing. It happened when Jesus was sitting at the table. Mary came and broke that alabaster box of spikenard and anointed his feet and the fragrance filled the whole room. That's what's being, that's the kind of bride, the quality of bride was seen in Mary, right? That's what's being revealed here in verse 12. It's a prophecy of the Lord when it says, while the king sitteth at his table. That's John chapter 12, what I just had Brother Jeremy read. My spikenard, speaking of his his bride, which is what Mary brought, was spikenard. It sends forth the fragrance or the smell thereof while he's sitting at the table. That was the prophecy fulfilled in John chapter 12, verse 3, when Mary put the spike in nard on the feet of the king at the table and it filled the whole room uh, of the house. Right? You guys see that? <laughs> yes. yes. So she poured that out. This was prophecy fulfilled. And, and, it's, and these are just a couple things that I started... Uh, by the Spirit of God, we pray, we started describing to you so that you can understand as we go forth in the next couple of days, uh, exploring chapter two, um, what we're going to see and how we're, we're being led by the Spirit to see these marvelous things that are 
that are being uh, revealed. So we're only going to do the first four verses and, 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 and we'll, we'll close here in a second here. But again, chapter two is broken up into five sections. And today we're going to explore the first section. And, and that's what, uh, what we see in, in chapter two, beginning with verse one through four. Could you read that again to us, Brother Jeremy? And we'll go through this. Yes. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the, as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to lie to, excuse me, to the banqueting house. Me, yeah, to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Amen. So this is the first section, and what we're going to actually see in in chapter two is is an unfolding of. <laughs> of really the entirety of the gospel plan from the beginning to the end to the return of the Lord and everything in between. But but let's first begin to see because chapter one begins to unfold. I mean chapter two, verse one begins to unfold and identify the process uh, of of how we come to him, how we begin to become his his bride and the wooing and and the decisions and all the things that have to be in place before we get to verse four, where he brings us to the banqueting house, which is the place where we are engaged to him. Now listen to this. Uh, he identifies himself in verse one as the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. And this is again, very descriptive poetic language, but but he's presenting himself as the bridegroom. And the two characteristics, the rose in scripture, it, it always represents uh, vibrancy and strength. It's, it's fully bloomed and fragrant. And so he presents himself as, as the fully, fully alive and fully the, the, the strong one in, in the Valley of Sharon. It's, it's literally in the valley. It's a vibrant and strong living Lord uh, in, in, in Sharon or in the plain. There's nothing that stands before him. There's no mountain. There's no crooked road. It's just a plain. It's cleared before the rose. He, he, he's presenting himself as, as God, as the bridegroom. And he's called the lily of the valley. Lily, precisely because lilies are, are white and pure uh, in the midst of, of the valley, so to speak. He's saying, I'm the all uh you know, all-powerful, all-strengthened, fully-blossomed one who is pure in the midst of all things. So that's how he first presents himself, as as, as the all-powerful, the great I am, right? That's how he starts off, right? I am the Rose of Sharon. I am right. the Lily of the Valleys. He, he's presenting himself as as God, and he is. <laughs> he's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the fully... The, the all-powerful one, he's the all-pure, he's holy. There's no blemish in him whatsoever. And then he he declares in verse 2 what he's looking for and what he says about his bride. He goes on in verse 2. Can you read verse 2, Brother Jeremy? Yes. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. He he's he's declaring what he's looking for, and what her condition is. He calls her the lily amongst thorns. He uses the same descriptive language of himself. He calls himself the lily of the valleys, and he calls her a lily amongst thorns. It's very symbolic because, first of all, like we just said, lily represents purity. It's it's a white, beautiful flower. And so he's calling his bride the same as himself because he's trying to reveal to us the bride that he selects is pure and holy, and she will be exactly like him. We shall be one. He is one with his church, and that's what he's declaring as he begins here. He's, he's the great I am, 
He's the fully blossomed and strengthened one. He's the all holy and perfect one. And he's now on a search for his lily, for his bride. And she is perfect. She is pure. And this is what he declares of her. But where is she? She's among the thorns. So is my love amongst the daughters. This is, this is beginning to contrast the real from the false. You know, right. the, 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 the true from the false, the, the real from the unreal. What he's looking the for. The what, yes, exactly. But also it has that reference back to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, because promises were right. made there. And, and I mean, the garden of, of Eden, because in the garden of Eden, if you remember when they fell, uh, the whole of the planet was plunged into darkness and he, he cursed the ground, right? And he talked about the ground bringing forth what? Uh, thorns. It's part yeah. of the curse, right? It's part of the curse. And so he's declaring, I'm going to take a pure bride from out of this cursed place. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Praise God. Mm. So, he says he's searching for the lily. So she's she's outside the curse. She's come to know grace, right? I mean, it, we could get into all of that. You know, those who are of grace from amongst those that, like Brother Fernando said, are amongst the tares, amongst nature itself, amongst the curse. She's, he's going to take a pure bride from amongst the curse. And that's why he goes on to call her my love amongst the daughters. That's a reference to the nations of the world you know, the corrupted nations of the world. She is different. She's selected. She can be seen. Can they tell when they look at our lives that we're any different? Or do we just blend into the thorny background of the world, right? When they look at our churches today, can they tell any difference between us and them? Can it be said of us, we're that pure bride that's obvious, a flower of such such beauty and purity amongst thorns, I wonder. Now begins the courtship, right? She begins to describe him. And can you read that in verse 3? As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. So she begins to talk to him. He begins to pro pro proclaim who he is. I am the strength of God. I am the purity of God. I am the holiness of God, right? The rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. And what I'm looking for is a pure bride. She's like that beautiful She's the one I love. She's pure. And she's amongst the other daughters. She's, she stands out. She's unique. This is what he's proclaiming over her. And it gets her attention. And she retorts or replies back concerning him. He's the apple tree amongst trees. Uh, so is my beloved amongst the sons. And we're going to talk about that right now. Because what she's literally saying is the courtship has begun. When she looks at him. She describes him as the apple among the trees of the wood. Um, whenever you, again, we're talking again, metaphoric and allegory language here, poetic language. All these words have been put here by the Holy Spirit to teach us something. What she begins to notice about him, because she's, remember what he said, she's, she's uh, so is my love amongst the daughters. What that's saying is that his bride is amongst all the nations. It's not just a singular bride. It, it is a bride that's composed among, of, and brought out of the nation. She is the lily amongst the thorns. It's, she's amongst the whole thing, but he begins to assemble her. And when he's done with her, she's a fully uh, beautiful and holy bride, but made up of all the peoples of the world, yet distinct. She becomes a nation all her own. And it's that wooing process that she responds to. Because she calls him the apple tree amongst the trees. See, uh, whenever you read about trees in the Bible, it's referencing uh, the nations of the world, the forest of the world. But she begins to understand something 
about this tree and she calls him the fruit of the tree, which is the most fragrant of fruits, the apple. The apple is descriptive of, of David, of King David, make me the apple of your eye. It's, it's, it's also uh, descriptive of, of the Lord himself because he is the son of David, the son of God. And so what she begins to realize is that the most fragrant of fruit representing the Lord Jesus Christ, her bridegroom, as she describes him, he's the apple tree amongst all the trees. What's being revealed here is that, is that the, the, the bride will, will realize that the Messiah or the bridegroom is going to come out of one particular nation. Yeah. Not all the nations, but one nation, and that nation is Israel. Her, her apple, her Messiah, her bridegroom is coming from Israel. And, and she makes known, um, you know, where he comes from. And really, he's of the tribe of Judah, right? He's of Israel. He's the king that comes from Israel. And, and no other nation produced him. Do you understand? Right. That's right. what she's saying. No other tree produced this. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Brother Marty. And, and also, what I think enhances all of this is that in chapter 1 and verse five, six, 5 and 6, it seems that she was first despised. It almost gives you, it says, you know, that she was despised, that uh, her mother's children were angry with her. And so that, that really speaks also to Israel. That it was a despised nation, slavery, right, that came out of that. I don't know if it makes well, sense. Well, I mean, we... Yeah. Yeah, we could discuss that at another time, but I, that's a good point because, um, you know, basically it's it's quite the, it's a little bit the other way around, brother. It's, it, it's Israel not not liking the Gentile bride, right? Because she calls ah, herself black. Okay. okay. See? And 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 Israel has always felt herself to be exclusive, but she rejected her bridegroom. See? That's powerful. I've never seen it like that, brother. That makes sense right now. Like the way that you're saying it right now. Yes, yes, and that's that's, that's why she calls her, that comes out. Yes. yes, but she calls herself black. Why? Because uh, <laughs> uh, you open up a can of of of, <laughs> of, of a pathway that you know. But I didn't want to go there because it's a whole teaching on itself. But when you read verse oh, five yeah. and six, it's it's referencing <laughs> it's referencing the curse that came on the Gentile nations that it, that went and, 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 and started through Africa, Egypt, and then expanded all the way out into the West and, 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 and so forth and so on. But, but it is representative of the Gentile nations who in Israel's view are despised and, and, and are meant to be her servants. But she rejected her bridegroom. You know, she, she rejected this apple of the tree, right? This, this, this fair one that she sees she's attracted to right out of all the trees she says this is the tree and it, and he comes from this tree he comes from this nation and that's why she's despised to this day those who aren't messianic jews those who haven't come to know the lord uh as their savior their true messiah uh they hate us <laughs> they hate any yeah. nation on the face of there the ultra orthodox jews i saw a uh I heard a, a, a an audio clip the other day of someone trying to witness to them in Jerusalem of their Messiah, and they 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 spit at them, they spit on the name of Jesus, they hate him, and they hate his his Gentile bride, they hate his bride, and that's what she's revealing here, which is a whole different subject again, but you know it's a good thing to point out, you know because what this is the one that's talking to him, that's why he said she's a lily amongst the thorns you know if you want to get really even deeper right because they're still under the curse of the law right but those who aren't under the curse of the law they have they have become pure and holy by his decree and they're made up of all peoples everywhere so what she begins to say about him again in verse three he's the apple tree amongst the trees of the forest or the trees of the wood he comes from a particular tree and, and our tensions being drawn, she notices he comes from Israel, but being apple, uh, which is referencing King David or the tribe of Judah and so forth, and the fragrance, he's the Messiah from Israel, he's the Messiah from Judah. And that's why she says, so is my beloved amongst the sons. 
what that's literally saying there is is that word sons in the Hebrew, it refers to the angels. It refers to the Elohim. But it also refers to the word ben, which is where we get the name sons, right? Which means builder or the builder of God. So literally what she's saying is that he comes from a particular tree or nation. And we know, as we've been describing, that's from the tribe of Judah, from the nation of Israel. And uh, he is my beloved amongst all the sons. In other words, he's the highest. He's the builder of builders. She's referencing Christ. He's the builder, right? He made all things. She's beginning to see him that way as God and above all gods. And when she begins to see him that way, really what's happening is the spirit is drawing her and wooing her. And then she makes a choice. What is that choice after she says that, Brother Jeremy? Uh, is that uh, the, 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 I sat down? Is that... Yes. Okay. I she sat says, down, I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. See, this is the wooing process of how all of us got saved. We begin to see him for who he is. We're, we're attracted by the spirit to him. We begin to learn of him, that he's the Messiah from Israel, that Israel gave us this great fragrant apple of, of, of the eye of God, right? I mean, this is, this is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. We see him and understand he's above all gods. He's the builder of God. He, that's why God had his son, you know, be raised by a carpenter, right? He, Jesus himself was a carpenter. He's a builder. He, he's the builder of builders. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him and, and for him. And he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. That's how we begin to see him and who he is. And then comes, when she understands this, she makes her choice. She sits down under his shadow. This is process we're talking about. This is the wooing. This is how you came to God, whether you realize it or not. This is the process. She surrenders to the leading of the Spirit, and she sits down. That's submission. It is the breaking down, the deconstruction of an uninformed one to one who's now being informed and changed by his spirit and brought into relationship to, with him. Sitting down is, is, is a phrase used uh, to submit to instruction and to be taught. So that's what she's saying. And that's what the bride of Christ is like. She, she comes to rest under his shadow which also intimates again, like we talked about, uh, you know, blessed is he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. He shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So we're talking about the process of intimacy and relationship that then produces his covering and protection. He begins to watch her like he began to watch you and bring you through so much. And then she says, when I came to sit, I did so with great delight, mm. and and his fruit was sweet to my taste. That's what she's talking about. The fruit that's sweet to her taste is you begin to partake of his instruction. Wasn't that her first declaration? Kiss me with kisses from your mouth, right? We talked about the intimacy and the word that flows from his mouth. That's what she's talking about here. When I decided to finally give my life to him and to come sit under under him, to, to, to quit running in all different directions, but to finally permanently affix myself in proximity to him, it is an intimate act of surrender. And his, his the protection or the shadow of his protection came over you. And the Spirit of God begins to pour forth his instruction to you. That's what she's revealing. I began to taste of his fruit. That's his word. And it was pleasant yeah. to my taste, sweet to my taste. There's nothing like finally discovering his word. 
finally hearing him and finally uh, being in intimacy with him, that, you know, the burden of a lifetime of pain and sorrow and, and, and trying to run things my own way, all that stuff, when we finally come to him and he's wooed us to himself, we, we, we wonder, why, why haven't I done this earlier, man? You know, like when you first got, if you've actually ever had a real born again experience and become part of the body of Christ, you remember the initial joy before religion got a hold of you and made you really bitter about, you know, how, how boring, you know, churchianity can be. The original coming to him, the lifting of the burden of your sin, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the sitting down in his presence, the protective covering, the revealing of his word. All you wanted to do was tell somebody that you found life, that he forgave you, that he's real, that he's coming again, that joy that tasting of the sweetness of the life that comes to the true bride of Christ. When, when he sees this, he takes the next step. What's that? Verse 4. He now begins to act in verse 4. And this is where we'll close. He brought me... Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Oh, oh. He brought me to the banqueting house. And his banner over me was love. Praise God. So here's here again. She, he wooed his bride. She comes and, and everything we've just been discussing. Now he acts. When he sees her like that is when he was when he would make his covenant with her. That's what he did. Remember, this this is only read at Passover in public in the Jewish community. It's very symbolic to us because we know him, right? And we see the pattern. It's, it's ironic it's read at Passover because that's what Jesus did on the very first Passover night where he cut a new covenant. So this is what he's saying. It's ready. She's ready. I can take it to the next level, which is what he did on that final Passover. He brought us into the banqueting house. That's where the marriage contract is declared in the banqueting house. And that's what he did on that last supper. He said, you know, he took the cup, he took the bread, right? And he said, this is the new covenant. He's speaking the marriage contract. It's a new contract. And the payment for that bride that he's brought in, what we've been talking about, is his banner over me is love. That's his cross. His greatest act of love and how he purchased her and she became his bride, was through the cross. That's the beginning of what Solomon is revealing would happen, and now we look back on it and know it has happened. And so we can, we can, we can see what he did and how he did it, and he did it through the cross, and he has cut a marriage covenant. And, and then he reveals, and this is where we'll pick it up tomorrow, is, is what she then says. In verse 5, she says, stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples. Why? For I am sick of love. See, he was revealing here that after he brings her into the banqueting house and basically cuts a covenant of a promise of marriage, they're engaged. He's going to do so with his banner of love, which is his cross. God so loved the world. That's how he will purchase her. She then declares, I'm sick with love. And, and we'll know why as we explore this tomorrow, because right there what was being revealed is, is he's, he's nowhere around. He can't be found all of a sudden. And she becomes lovesick. Where is my beloved? Where did he go? He's not here. Mm -hmm. right. And that's where, we'll, that's where we'll pick it up tomorrow, because that's what happened. After his banner over us, his cross of Calvary, his resurrection occurs and he's gone. And so begins church history. And that's what we're going to dig into tomorrow. We'll see the unfolding of church history, how she will be stayed. She's saying the only thing that'll, that'll keep me from, from dying over this love sickness I have for my beloved who's gone all of a sudden will be flagons and apples. And we'll talk about what that means because it's really profound and powerful. And the outpouring of the Spirit is revealed. And the empowering of the church as we go on tomorrow, oh, as we'll, ex we'll, express, we'll, we'll explore the second section of the Song of Solomon. 
Today we are resting under his shadow in his banquet house. Tomorrow we'll understand why he had to go away and, and what it is um, that, that will lead us uh, to, to the other sections. The declaration of his soon to return and all the things we're going to look at uh, and, and, and how the prophecy reveals um, that he will be coming back. You know, there's so much more yet to see in this, but but like this precious beloved of the Lord, we miss our Lord. I miss him. Uh, yes. I long for his, you know, I long for his return. I don't want my children to go through what I know is coming. I, I don't I don't want our families to have to endure what we know is, is coming. You know, and, 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 and I just want him to come back. I long for his return. As we explore further, we're going to see in the next few podcasts, we're going to see just how close we really are to that return. And and all this is being revealed now by the Holy Spirit in the Song of Solomon. Just as the rabbis predicted thousands of years ago, it would begin to be unlocked in the end of days. And because of that, we know our Lord, our beloved, is coming soon. Can you say amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. 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 What a uh, what a way to begin our week uh, studying the book of the Song of Solomon. And as you can see, in this last hour, we have a, a very fresh look at this book in a way that perhaps many of us or most of us have never seen it before. Uh, the prophetic utter, uh, utterances that come out of it, the, the love between the bride of Christ and, 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 and Jesus, right? It's, yeah. it's beautiful. It's beautiful and comforting, beautiful and comforting to the church. So uh, I pray that you you join us back tomorrow as we continue uh, studying uh, the Song of Solomon in Chapter 2. And as Brother Marty said, we'll be going through the unfolding of, the, of church history and, and other things that are going to be coming out. So be praying, and that God will uh, continue to give us uh, even a better understanding of what he's saying. Amen. Because it's beautiful. It's beautiful, uh, the relationship between the bride of Christ and her soon-coming king. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And keep looking up.